Good morning, once again. Um, it has been just a blast to be with you guys. Um, I love this place. I love RUF. I told you at the very beginning. And so thank you for having me. Thank you for listening and, and just paying attention. I, I hope that what you're leaving with, just from the experience of being here and, and being somewhere that is beautiful, um, is that you leave um, rested and you leave renewed. But I also hope that just having heard God's word and having been reminded of the way in which he has come down and he has entered in um, so that he might restore you, so that he might make you whole again, so that he might change really from this point forward everything that your life is about. I hope that you go back um, to school and to your work and to your friendships and to your campus, um, maybe looking at it a little bit uh, differently. Uh, so thanks again for having me. Thanks to the to these musicians. Y'all have done a really just a great job this weekend. Very, very good. Um, I want to end this morning by looking at Romans chapter 13. So if you have your, your Bible, you want to turn there with me. Romans chapter 13, we're going to look at um, verse 8 and down to verse 14. It says this. Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, and you shall not steal, and you shall not murder, and you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. Besides this, you know that the time you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone, and the day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness. Not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Amen. This is the very true word of God is given to us in love. Let me pray and ask that he would help us to, to understand and to believe. Father, we, we just we give you thanks um, that this is another day that you have made and that this is your world and it belongs to you and in your mercy and in your grace this morning you've allowed us once again to, to live in this world that belongs to you. And Father, not only that, but that you have made us your children through the work of Jesus Christ. And Father, I know that there's some here um, this weekend who are still asking those questions and have come because they're wondering um, what it is they do believe. And Father, I pray that um, you're the one who grants even faith to us, and I pray that you would grant faith to them this morning, that they might leave um, knowing you, that they might leave being changed. And Father, I pray that um, really, in essence, for all of us, and we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Um, one of the most dreaded, I think at least, sentences in the English language um, you may have heard the sentence even this very morning. Um, can you guess what that sentence might be? 
It's time, that's right. It is time to wake up. Who had to be woken up this morning? Anybody had to be like violently shaken by the person next to you? Like everyone's leaving the room and they realize there's that one guy who's still snoring. And you're like, how did he just sleep through all of that? That it is, it's time to wake up is not something that I long to hear typically. In fact, most of us, we probably use our iPhone as kind of our, or, or whatever phone you might have if you're a droid person, it's okay. Um, whatever phone you might have, you, you use that to set your alarm. And I don't know if you've done this game, but I play this game to where I want to find the right ringtone. And it's got to be, like, it can't be so soothing that it doesn't wake you up. It's got to be aggressive enough that it wakes you up. But it can't be so aggressive that it, like, wakes you up in anger. To where you're like, I'm awake now and I hate life and I can't find my phone. Have you ever been there where you're, like, looking everywhere for it? And it's going, ah, ah, ah. The foghorn is not the one that you want to use. Uh, it's almost um, gotten me divorced. Uh, it has to change my ringtone. Don't use the foghorn when you get married. Um, my wife does not like that. And so it's time to wake up. Is usually it's not something that we want to hear. But you all know that there's been these times when you are so looking forward to something. You're so excited about whatever that day holds that you don't need an alarm that you don't need somebody to wake you up. Have you ever been there before? I, I know that for me, like when I'm planning some kind of trip or I'm getting ready to go see somebody that I love and that I haven't seen in a long time or, um, or you know, when you're a kid and it's Christmas Eve, like you don't need the alarm clock. That you pop out of bed and you are excited and you are ready for the day. That you don't need anyone to violently shake you out of sleep. And this morning, what I, what I want to leave us with is Paul telling us that it's time for us to wake up. That it's time for us to get up because what is before us is so beautiful and it is so good. And as we looked at, you know, yesterday morning, it doesn't mean that, 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 that it's easy, but it's better than you had imagined. And he said, he's saying, if you can see it for what it is, you'll need a wake up call less and less because you were redeemed this morning those of us who are in Christ you were redeemed for a reason that you were redeemed so that you might be made whole again so that you might be used by God in this world and what he's doing to make it whole again if you can catch a glimpse of that if you can catch a glimpse of like how amazing that might actually be and how it defines what your life is about then you won't go back to sleep you can't go back to sleep. And so this morning, what I want to talk about in, this, in these few short verses, I want to look at the goal that he, he's, he's showing us a goal that is, is laid out before us, the timing of that, and then the method by which we reach that goal. So the goal, the timing, and the method, you could also say it like the what, the when, and the how. What is it? When do we do it? And how do we get there? And so what is the goal? The goal in verses in 8 through 10, if you're looking back at it, um, just we're jumping into a letter at the very kind of close to the end of a letter. So it's a little bit difficult um, to kind of go with Paul's logic. So 
What Paul has done for the first 11 chapters of Romans, if I can like really simplify what Paul did in the first 11 chapters of Romans, because it's incredibly complex what he does, but basically I would boil it down to this, that Paul is just showing you in intricate detail the ways in which God has loved sinners and redeemed them to himself. That he spends 11 chapters kind of just unwrapping that and unpacking that so that we might see in this intricate theological detail. If you've never read the first 11 chapters of Romans, um, go back and read them. And he gets to a point in chapter 12 where he makes a transition and he says, therefore, because of all of this, because of, because of the way that God has shown you mercy, present your bodies now as living sacrifices. Because he's already given, this is what we've already talked about all weekend, because he's already given you everything You know, Paul is someone saying that what can man now do to me if God is for me? Like, he can't harm me anymore. And so Paul says, if God has shown you mercy, if he has loved you, if he has brought you into his family, then now go forward and present your body as living sacrifices. And you go, what does that mean? That sounds really bizarre. And he starts to talk about love. He starts to talk about love because really at the heart of love and the essence of love is sacrifice. And so I'll say it really quickly that the goal, the goal of the law and the goal of your redemption is love. That you were saved by love, that you were redeemed by love so that you may be one who goes forward and loves this world. Paul says it like this, that you were redeemed by love so that a few verses earlier in chapter 12, he says, so that you might bless those who persecute you. I mean, it's kind of sad to say that Christians aren't necessarily known for that. That we, we want to kill people who persecute us. Um, a lot of us talk that way, at least. Paul says, present now your bodies as living sacrifices because God has sacrificed himself for you so that you might love this world And what that might look like is that you actually bless those who persecute you. He says that you might um, actually outdo one another in showing honor to one another. He says it this way, so that you might associate with the lowly, which is what we talked about really last night. That you are redeemed so that you might present your body as living sacrifice. And what that looks like is you outdo one another and showing honor to one another, that you move towards those who are low. And if you get a glimpse of that, I think that the day that is before us is stunningly beautiful. I think that what your life is about is a lot more exciting than what you may have imagined it to be and what you planned it to be. And it's kind of the reason that if you look at the early church and if you look at the beginning of Christianity, that so much of those who follow Jesus, I mean, they ended up dying as martyrs because they had caught a glimpse of something that was much more beautiful and much more exciting. And it really, it made them hold their life really loosely because they knew that their life was hidden in Jesus. This is what the day holds for you. And he said, so he says this, he says it this way, owe no one anything except to love one another. And he says, owe no one anything. And that sounds kind of funny. And um, if you read common which I know all of you do, like you love biblical commentaries, right? If you read commentaries, like a lot of them spend all this time going, are we, is Paul saying that we shouldn't be in debt? Is this, and they go into these long discourses on should Christians be in debt? And like, I, 
I'm not smarter than the people that wrote those books, but I kind of think that they're missing the point. That just before this, Paul had talked about government and everyone's favorite topic. And he had said, basically, if you tell a bunch of people that now present your bodies as living sacrifices and they live under a government that is dangerous and oppressive a lot more than ours, then they're going to say, are we supposed to even love them? And Paul says, yes. And he, he, he goes so far as to say, like, quit worrying about it. Like, why are you so worried about the government? He says, owe no one anything. Just pay your silly taxes because God actually controls even the government. He says, if you're so fearful of the government, don't you realize that you don't actually, you actually think that they're bigger and stronger than your God, and they're not. That he even is using them for his purposes. And so he says, owe no one anything except this, except to love one another. In other words, pay your debts where they are owed, but love is a perpetual debt that you never finish paying. Owe no one anything except to love one another. In, in other words, this debt of love is something that you owe to everyone. It's what you were created for. It's what, when the fall happened, it broke us away from that. We turned inwards. We quit loving God and we quit loving others and we started just loving ourselves. And he says that you actually owe love to the people around you and that you can never he says you can never pay that debt completely that you're meant to do it the rest of your life in other words i can't like look at my wife one day and kind of say you know i feel like i'm done loving you i feel like i've done it i've done it enough right it's like i'm i've done it perfectly right um is that right yes no i haven't there's never a day coming when i've loved her enough to where i don't owe her even more love and this is, what, this is what Paul is saying, that you owe love to that woman at the DMV who watched you stand in the wrong line for an hour. And then when you got there, rudely said, you need to go to that line. That you owe her love. That you owe love to that woman in the checkout line with the kid that is screaming, and you're pretty sure the kid is screaming because she's that kid's mom. And you see that she's not a very nice person. And you want in your heart to hate her, right? And Paul is saying that you actually owe it to, to suppress that hatred because Jesus really, he had every right to hate you. And yet he's loved you. And he's saying, what does it look like that everywhere you look and everywhere around you, that you're supposed to bless those even who persecute you, that you are called to actually love them? That you were made to love them, and to not love them is actually robbing them of something. In fact, he goes so far to say it this way, which can be a little bit confusing to some of us, that he says that to love one another is actually to fulfill the law. And like for the budding theologians in the room, you kind of go, wait a second, is what he's saying is that I myself can fulfill the law? so that I no longer need Jesus? No, that's not what he's saying. That what he's saying, if you know the, the Ten Commandments, then you know that they're divided into two halves, and the first half is about us loving God and how we do that. The second half is about how we love our neighbor. And in the, he's just quoting from the second half, and he's quoting the do nots, right? Um, do not do this. Do not murder. Um, do not you know, lie, do not do these things to your neighbor. And what he's saying is that love, for those of you who are already redeemed, 
It's not meriting God's love if you do this. What he's saying is that if you are already loved by God, you are enabled to fulfill the law because you go beyond the do not. Love goes beyond do not. Love goes well beyond do not. If I love you, I'm not going to steal from you is what he's saying. If I love you, then I'm not going to cheat on you. If I love you, hopefully I'm not going to murder you. Um, At least, and I'm not going to murder you in my heart. That love is... (laughs) Love is the fulfillment of the law, that it goes well beyond just not doing something. Love goes all the way to saying, I'm not just not going to hate you in my heart. I'm going to embrace you. I'm going to see you as you are and still move towards you. The intention of the law all along, back when God gave it, was to show us the way to true love. And of course, what we find over and over again is that I don't do that. I can't do that. And it makes Jesus all the more incredible. And it makes what he does all the more beautiful because Jesus perfectly fulfilled the law. And so you see the point is that sin, think about it this way, that sin robs the world of love. I mean, one of the reasons that sin is so heinous and so ugly, and one of the reasons that you and I don't really hate it as much as we do because we don't see it this way. We just see it as sin is something fun that I want to do, but God says that I can't do. And you need to see it this way, that sin is something that destroys the world. And it robs the world of love. But your redemption, the reason that Jesus entered in and He redeemed you is so that He might kill sin within you and set you free to love. And that means that God didn't just redeem you so that one day you might go to heaven and sort of for the rest of the life, your life, you can just kind of live this sort of like self-absorbed existence. That's not why he did it. And you can kind of hate your neighbor and you can want to kill those who persecute you and all of that. No, he says he, he loved you so that you might become a part of the healing of the world through the simple act of loving those who are around you. And this is a huge part of what you're called to do. And Jesus redeemed you so that you might be set free to love like He has loved you. And when you read through the New Testament, you see this is all over the New Testament, that love, you go, what is the witness of a Christian in the world? What is the primary apologetic for the fact that Christianity is true? And you go, is it watertight arguments? Is it like getting the right person in office? Like what is going to heal the world? And Jesus over and over again, and the rest of the New Testament writers agree with him, is that it is love, that love is the primary, primary witness that Christianity is true. Jesus says, they will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. Faith, hope, and love remain, but the greatest of these is love, because love is from God, and those who truly love, they have to belong to him. For you to truly love means that you have been radically brought from death to life because love is not natural to us. What is natural to me is to wake up every morning and to simply look out for me. And if for some reason I don't do that anymore, it's because God has changed my heart. And you go, well, okay, this begs the question, well, what is love then? Because we can define love in a lot of different ways. And I can't spend a lot of time on this because I need to move to the next point. What is love? And I'm going to say it very simply, that God is love. And you go, that was cheap. You know, like, what does that mean? So God, what what that means is that you don't get to define what love is. God 
is the essence of love and that Jesus, so you go, what does that look like? Well, that looks like Jesus because Jesus is the perfect imprint of the nature of God. And so when you read the Gospels, which we did earlier this weekend, and you look at Jesus moving through the world, what you're looking at is the incarnation of love itself moving throughout this chaotic universe and loving. So if you want to know what love looks like, you look at the one who is the perfect fulfillment of the law. You look at Jesus. He is the essence and the incarnation of love. Paul says it like this in Ephesians chapter 5, which I think um, like really captures this so perfectly. He says, therefore be imitators of God. And what does it mean to be imitators of God? He says, what well, means to walk in love? Be imitators of God as beloved children. Walk in love. How do I walk in love? He says, as Christ loved us. You go, well, how did Christ love us? He gave himself up for us. A fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. Imitate God, Paul says. Well, how do I do that? Well, walk in love. How do I walk in love? Well, as Christ loved you, how did Christ love me? Well, at the heart of love is sacrifice. At the heart of love means that he gave himself up for me. Who and how did Jesus love? Jesus loved lepers, and he loved prostitutes, and he loved tax collectors, and he loved women who broke into dinner parties and wept at his feet. That this is who Jesus loved, that this is why we've looked at it this weekend, that Jesus loved those who knew that they didn't deserve his love and that they could in no way earn his love. And friends, the goal, the goal of the law and the goal of your redemption is that we might be set free to imitate the love of Jesus. That sin might be killed in us, that it might, that there's no longer any condemnation for you and I. And the reason that that is so beautiful is because you are now set free to do what you were now created to do, which is to love one another. So that's the goal. What's the timing? And I'll be brief on this. The timing in 11 and 12, verses 11 and 12, if the goal is love, the timing, Paul says, is now. That this isn't something you're kind of waiting to do when you're ready, like when you're like, well, I've got to go through some like training or a discipleship course or something to do this. Paul says, no, wake up. It's time right now. The night is over and the day is at hand. He says that salvation is nearer to us than it was when we first believed. And you go, that's really confusing. I don't know what you're talking about. Salvation is nearer to me than when I first believed. Think about it this way. What Paul is saying is that not he's, the Bible talks about salvation in a few different ways. Salvation individually, but it also talks about salvation as this huge thing that God is doing in the world, that he is making all things new. And Paul is saying that, there is, that that's really close at hand. And it's time to wake up because if you've been redeemed by Jesus in order to be a part of this, that you've been invited into the healing of the world because you've been set free to love. And he's saying, wake up. Wake up. And so some people wonder, you go, and this is kind of a side note, but all through the New Testament, the kind of a lot of the authors talk about the fact that kind of the end is near and like the time is at hand. And some of us read it and go like, I think Paul was kind of wrong. Like, I mean, it's 2,000 years later and like we're still here and the consummation of all things has not happened. And he wasn't wrong at all. What he was saying is this. In 1 Thessalonians 5, Paul says that no one knows that day, that that day comes like a thief in the night. And if something, if, if none of us know that day, then that means it's always at hand. 
right? If you don't know when something's going to happen, that means it's imminent. That means it could happen this afternoon. That means it could happen like now, you know, right? The next like 30 seconds. I mean, you don't know. And that's, that's Paul's point. He's saying salvation is near to us. The consummation of all things is near to us. The end is near to us. It's always at hand. And he's saying, don't go back to sleep if you've been woken up. Don't be lulled back into sleep. And you go, well, what does that mean? What does that look like? Don't, don't, be, don't become so absorbed in certain things that you miss the main point of your existence. Isn't it crazy that it's just easy to miss the point of why I'm alive? <laughs> to miss the point of my existence? Isn't it crazy to be in college and to be asking all these questions about how things work and maybe not actually ask the question of like why I'm alive? To not wake up every morning and go, I'm awake and like salvation is nearer than when I first believed and I don't want to be lulled back asleep by the voices that we talked about yesterday morning in this world that are telling me your life should look like this, your life needs to be about this that instead I have to listen to the voice of Jesus who is the incarnation of love and I have to go, what does it look like for me not to be lulled back to sleep? Well, I'm lulled back to sleep when other things become my identity. I'm lulled back to sleep when the work that I'm doing is the thing that defines everything about me so that I become so anxious about it because I'm so afraid of failing because I think that this is the point of my existence. And it becomes very self-consumed. And it's really hard to love when I'm always anxious. This is why Jesus says, don't be anxious about tomorrow. You're like, come on, Jesus. And he says, instead, seek first the kingdom of God. It's Jesus' way of saying, don't go back to sleep. Seek first the kingdom of God. All these other things are going to be added unto you. I'm telling you not to worry about it. I've got this. That we fall, that we're lulled back to sleep when we, I think when we fall in love with things that we think will make our life better so that some of them very good things, very good things, but we, we, begin, we become convinced that if we pour more energy into them, more time into them, that they're actually going to give us what only Jesus can give us. And we don't have any energy left to do anything else. We're lulled to sleep. That when you get a little bit older, and most of you in this room, I know that this seems like it might be a long way away, but within the next few years, a lot of you will be married. That weird to think about. Could be the person on your road, right? Could be somebody right next to you. Um, a lot of you might be married, and you might have children, and you're going to have... If you think that your time... I just lost all of you. Um, <laughs> if you think that your time is like really short right now, and that you're really busy... I mean, wait till you have, like, like human beings screaming, you know? <laughs> and also ones that you want to protect, and, you know, like we talked about moms the other day and gave them a hard time. Like, you're gonna, you, some of you are going to be that mom one day, and you're going to kind of go, like, what does it mean for me not to just be lulled back to sleep, but not to lull my children to sleep? But just going, I just want your life to be perfect and to look like what I think the perfect life looks like. Does it look like what Jesus is calling you to that we're lulled to sleep just when we become full of worry and we become full of fear and we live a fear-based existence. You looked at Paul, hopefully, in your small groups the other day and Paul 
said, I have nothing and yet I possess everything. That's somebody who has... Paul had days when he was afraid and he had days when he was worried, but that's someone who overall in his life is going, my life is defined by something else. Um, To be awake then means that our lives are going to not necessarily compute with the rest of the world and the way that it works. And, and what, I'm, what that means is not, I'm trying to say, like, we need to all look, like, really weird and, like, you should wear a denim jumper. Um, or any, that, That's not what I'm saying. Your life should look different than the world in the sense that your life is not about you. It's about loving. I love um, Wendell Berry is an author, an essayist, a poet for a long time. I've had a man crush on him. And he ca- I think he captures this really, really well in one of his poems. And I'm going to read some of that poem to you. This is um, it's vulnerable of me to read poetry to you. Um, but I'm getting ready to leave and I probably won't see most of you again. So he says this. I mean, to be lulled to sleep is how this poem starts. He says, love the quick profit, the annual raise, vacation with pay. Want more of everything ready-made. Be afraid to know your neighbors and to die. And you will have a window in your head. Not even your future will be a mystery anymore. Your mind will be punched in a card and shut away in a little drawer. When they want you to buy something, they will call you. When they want you to die for profit, they will let you know. So friends, every day, do something that won't compute. Love the Lord. Love the world. Work for nothing. Take all that you have and be poor. Love someone who does not deserve it. If those words at the end make you uncomfortable, he's quoting Jesus, right? I mean, I think that he's saying in the midst of all the other voices that are telling you, be this, do this, they're, they're robbing you of your true identity, which is in Jesus, which frees you to move into the world with love. And so the timing is now. What about the method? These last few verses, verses 12 through 14, um, it seems like, even as I was reading them, to you it may have seemed like he's changing the topic. Like he's talking about loving, he's talking about loving me and the fulfillment of the law, and he starts talking about orgies and drunkenness. And like, just when you say the word orgy, like you, everyone's like, (laughs) Um, What is he talking? Like, why is he switching the subject? And no, he's actually showing you what it looks like. This is a method for loving your neighbor. And that's two parts. And and I'll wrap up with this. The first part is this, that, that we start by casting off the things that keep us asleep. That we, if we're in danger of being lulled to sleep, we're in danger of always entering back into darkness, the words of darkness. And you see, sin is not just, this is what I already said, but sin is not just breaking a law. Sin is the antithesis of love. That sin is not just something that God is a big meanie, He doesn't want you to have any fun. Sin is actually, it's, it's keeping you from loving and being a part of healing in this world. And as long as you walk in, walk in darkness, it's, it's impossible for you to fully love one another. And he's saying, I've set you free from sin. I've set you free from the power of sin. The sin never, no longer reigns 
over you. The works of darkness that he lists, all of them, I mean, if you boil them down, they're all about me. And they're all about how I use really other people or abuse other people in order to serve me. And he's saying, cast those things off. Run away from sin because sin actually keeps you from loving one another. And sin focuses you on yourself and it makes you look more like that first night, Friday night, where we looked at bondage and loneliness and death. What does, that, what does that maybe look like specifically? I mean, it looks like being honest about the ways in which I struggle and I'll continue to struggle and being able to speak into my own sin so that I actually say, I'm just going to, you know, instead of going like, I've got to stop lusting. Because lusting's bad and I've got to stop it. Instead, I start to go, I've got to stop lusting because lusting is objectifying another human being that I owe love to, and I'm actually using them up in my mind in order to gratify myself. And that's hideous, right? That's heinous. Because I'm called, I've been set free by Jesus to love them, and yet I'm using them for myself. It's realizing that my jealousy... It's not just this thing that, you know, is kind of benign and like, yeah, there's all these other people and I wish I was more like this and I wish I was more like this. You can't love other people that you're constantly mad at because you think that they're better than you. And you're jealous of the things that they have. And I wish that I had those things. Jealousy kills love. He says, cast off those things, but he says this. He says to put on the armor of, of light. Put on the armor of light. It's such a weird phrase. But a little bit later he says to put on, to clothe yourself with Jesus Christ. And so what does it mean? Say, I love the imagery of this, that instead of, you, you cast off the darkness, but you're putting on an armor of light and an armor of light is protecting you from the darkness, but it's also something that is going out. Because light shines into the darkness. The smallest light will light up the most black night. And he's saying, put on this armor of light, which is Christ. And so um, armor, it resists, it resists the darkness, but it also, it also, it kicks against it wherever you're going. And that armor is not you. It's Jesus. That you cannot, you can hear this and you go, I cannot, I cannot leave here and love well enough on my own. That's not the point. I put on Jesus. And the more that I put on Jesus, the more I wear his love, the more I'm convinced of his love for me, the more I immerse myself every day in the mercies of God that have been given to me. That is what putting on the armor of light looks like. So that I move into this dark world and I'm not trying to use my neighbor. And I'm not trying to step over my neighbor to get into a higher position. That I'm not trying to have power over my neighbor, but I'm trying to think about how do I love my neighbor in the way that Jesus loved me. One of the great things I get to do at the church I'm at is when we have new members join, I get to sit with them and, and kind of interview them and ask them about their story and ask them about their life and um, what it looked like for them to come to Jesus. And not that long ago, there was a couple that joined and they had become Christians as they were visiting this church and they just started visiting because they were like there's this emptiness in our life and maybe we'll find the answer to that in church and they did and they were both husband and wife were both converted and so I'm listening to their story and the guy's kind of quiet and the, the, the woman is just like 
this, she's hilarious and she's just talking and um, she's the only like new member interview like that I've ever had somebody drop the F-bomb in like it's like it's really amazing it's like beautiful um, um, and and she just loved she's loving the sense she's getting the sense that Jesus could actually love her and He's kind of quiet, so I start to ask him, like, well, kind of like, what about you? Because I want to make sure that she's not just converted, and maybe he's just tagging along. And he starts to talk about it, and what he says, basically, that got me was this. That he said, you know, my, li- one of, my life has, has always just been about me. And he said, the other day, I was walking through the grocery, the grocery store parking lot, And he said, I realized that Jesus had changed my heart because I saw somebody that normally I would have just never even noticed or passed by. And he said, when I passed by this person, my heart leapt. And I thought about what their life was like and how they might have been struggling and what it might look like for me to love them. And I thought, that's it. He gets it. It's time for us to wake up. It's time for us to not be lulled to sleep by all the voices in this world that say, be this, do this, make your life look like this. Your life is hidden in Christ. It cannot be taken away. You have been redeemed for a purpose so that you might go out and love. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you um, for the deep, deep, deep love of Jesus for us. We pray that um, we're so prone to forget it. We're prone to run away from it. We're prone to only love ourselves. And, and yet, Father, we pray that as we leave this place, as we go back into our day-in, day-out world, which is very mundane at times, which is very, it seems, boring, um, not that exciting, I pray that we would look we would open our eyes and we would not be lulled back to sleep, but we would look for ways in which we might kick against the darkness, that we might put on the armor of light, that we might love others the way that you have loved us. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.